Thanks for tuning in on this Monday, the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Got a great guest. Well, Craig Gilbert was a great guest, and we're going to follow that up with another one. CBS 58 reporter A.J. Bayapur joins us in studio. Good morning. Howdy. Steve, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I'm a big fan of your work. I've followed your career as, uh, as you've uh, sort of grown. You're still a young man. I don't know if I'd go that far. Like, look, I've got, I've got, I've got a lot more gray hairs. You than do when have first a lot more gray I've got a lot more gray hairs now. But yeah, you, you spend a lot—not all of your time, but a lot of your time covering politics. So let's let's get to some of these things. There's recent news about Janelle Branchon campaign violation with the Trump campaign. How serious is this? Well, I mean, you have somebody, you have a sitting state lawmaker who's being referred for possible felony charges. So I'd say very serious. We did reach out to the Waukesha County DA uh, to whom these charges were referred for investigation by the Wisconsin Ethics Commission. Uh, it's kind of a, a convoluted story, um, but at, at the gist of it, you know, you have these individual donation limits. You can only give so much money to a, a single political candidate. Right. The accusation here uh, before the Waukesha County DA and other prosecutors throughout the state, including these three counties where the county GOP chapters are, is... In this effort in 2022, Adam Steen comes on. He's going to primary Wisconsin's top Republican lawmaker, mm-hmm. Speaker Robin Voss. They're upset. He's not doing enough to to look into these these false claims that former President Trump has made about the election being stolen in Wisconsin in 2020. The allegation is that Representative Branchen worked with the county GOP chapters in Langlade, Florence, and Chippewa counties to kind of say, okay, you can only give so much money to Adam Steen, who's challenging Voss. Why don't we work together? We'll have people donate to you guys because there are no there are no such limits for what you can give to a, a county chapter. We'll work together and we'll find a way to either get that money to Steen or his vendors. We'll we'll help his campaign and we'll kind of find a workaround for these campaign donation limits. Well, the Ethics Commission says we've looked into this and we find reason to believe that Branchen, uh, the chairs of those three county chapters, uh, Adam Steen's father, we believe that all these people committed a crime in this scheme, if you will. The question now is, what will the prosecutors do? So you have those three DAs in Florence, Chippewa, and Langlade counties. Uh, I did hear back from the Chippewa County uh, GOP chair. He said, I'm a member of Chippewa County Republicans, so I'm asking the Ethics Commission to refer this to one of my neighboring counties. I'm recusing myself. Uh, The Racine County uh, DA said, okay, we're asking for a little more information. Same for Suwapper and Waukesha County. They're saying, we're aware of this. We have this referral. We've asked them to provide a little bit more information, and then we'll decide whether to open a criminal investigation. Has Branson uh, publicly commented on this? Not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware um, of. Not either. that I'm aware of. I, I've reached out to her. I haven't gotten a response. I've reached out to Adam Steen. Haven't heard back either. I don't know if they're laying low altogether, or if they're, you know, perhaps going to speak. You know, they're going to pick to whom they respond. Uh, but as far as I know, Representative Branson has not responded to this yet. You'll recall that there's a, another level of intrigue here because it is Representative Branchen who had been at the forefront of some of the push after the 2020 election to give a platform to, you know, really some baseless claims well, of election fraud in 2020. For, for the elections committee, right? And, right. And she served in that until some of these other things started to happen. Right. There was um, a lot of criticism of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. Eventually, over Branchen's role in, in pushing for Adam Steen to, to topple Voss, so to speak, which he nearly did. He ended up losing in that primary election, but it was, was fairly close. Uh, Branchen now doesn't even caucus with the Republicans. So she went from um, having a pretty high-profile position with the uh, you know, elections committee in the Assembly 
to now not even caucusing with the Republicans. I made this point last week. It's interesting that as a result of the, the fallout from the election investigation, which was supposed to look at how this election from a Republican perspective was stolen or rigged, we've, see, we've seen Gableman now be accused of violations. We've seen Janelle Branchin accused of violations. It's, it's almost more interesting and I think illuminating that instead of finding things, real things that would have flipped the election to Donald Trump's favor, which didn't happen, and most reasonable people have accepted the results of 2020, we're seeing now charges against Republicans, not Democrats. Right, and this particular charge, if it ends up being true and, and is, is proven, it's a pretty basic election law violation. I mean, it, it's, it's as old as time. There's only so much that you can give to a candidate, and if you're scheming to work around those laws to get more money to that candidate, you know, skirting those laws... That would be the kind of thing that you look at and say, how credible is somebody who is saying there's election fraud, our elections are rigged, when these same people are involved in breaking the state's election laws? Now, that's a, that's a great point, because that is certainly something that most voters, most citizens, most taxpayers would look at and say, you said there was fraud going on, but here now you are being charged with fraud. That's a serious, serious miscalculation. A.J. Bioport, my guest, CBS 58, is where he resides. After the break, we sort of alluded to it, redistricting. The, the shift of power, potentially, in the state of Wisconsin, all because of a threat at the Wisconsin Supreme Court. We'll continue the conversation after this on the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. My part-time service in the Army... Talking some politics this hour, political power hour. That's that's why we named it that. And you can give uh, Bill McCosh and Joseph Hecke some love on that one because that's where it all started on the Friday show. AJ Byport, my guest, CBS 58 reporter, um, redistricting. I asked Craig Gilberts, uh, columnist for the Journal Sentinel, about this earlier. Where does this story go? We've we've seen now the signing by the governor. I had the governor on the show last week. He was he was um, confident that there wouldn't be any challenges in Wisconsin. You cover this story in depth. What does this tell you? What, where do you think this story goes next? Well, I think in Wisconsin, you're conditioned to whenever something of political significance happens, you're waiting for the next lawsuit to come. Right. <laughs> but with this, with this particular instance, it seems less likely there's going to be a challenge to this. You'll recall in 2022, initially the Wisconsin Supreme Court with you know Brian Hagedorn, when he was still kind of the swing vote on the court, in a 4-3 decision, they picked the governor's maps, but then they got struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court based on a Voting Rights Act right. violation. Well, all the parties involved, Democrat and Republican, were very careful in this redistricting process. If you look at the different map proposals that were submitted to the court, no one messed with the city of Milwaukee's boundaries. No one messed with those districts. No one wanted to get slapped on a VRA violation. The other possible challenge to this to the U.S. Supreme Court would be you know, what you've heard about when people saying Justice Protasiewicz should have recused herself. She took money from the Democrats, and she, she shouldn't have you know, had a vote on this case. Well, one, uh, from the legal scholars I've talked to, very tough hill to climb. They're very skeptical that that claim would hold water in court. But beyond that, because of how this process ended up playing out, what's there to challenge with regard to Justice Protasiewicz? You, have a, you could, I suppose, conceivably say... Well, she was part of a court that struck down these maps and put the wheels in motion here. But this is not what happened two years ago. You know, if the U.S. Supreme Court reversed a Wisconsin Supreme Court decision, these maps are not in place through court order. These maps are in place because the process happened the way it's supposed to work constitutionally. Legislature passes maps. Governor signs them. So I even talked to Rick Essenberg from the conservative Wisconsin Institute for Law, Law and Liberty, and he said, 
it's less likely in his estimation that there's a challenge to these maps because you'd be asking the U.S. Supreme Court to undo a state legislative and executive branches actions. And to, and when it comes to redistricting, the court's precedent at the at the federal level is redistricting is a state thing. So to meddle with not a state court order, but to meddle with a state legislative decision that a Republican legislature passed and Democratic governor signed, it really opened up Pandora's box. Yeah, I mean, the process worked, albeit convoluted, it worked how it was supposed to work. Legislature creates the maps, governor signs, boom, we're done. Having said all that, and you, you laid it out brilliantly, I guess for me is, even if there's no grounds, doesn't stop somebody from actually attempting to have the Supreme Court here, which again can create, and I could be wrong, I'm not a legal scholar, some delay in the process, because ultimately this will shape where district lines are, and, and the governor's asked for congressional review as well from the state Supreme Court. Right, and the congressional review is interesting in that it's the governor's maps that yeah, are in right. pla- that are in place right. now. He's essentially asking his own maps to, for his he own maps to get thrown out. Basically, is what he was right. saying. And I think you know what the governor's lawyers' argument is. Well, the maps we made for the congressional districts a couple years ago was based on a doctrine from a then conservative majority on the right. state supreme court saying minimize change. It was you know the so called least change doctrine. We don't subscribe to that. We adhered to it because it was the court's order. They picked our map. Great. But we think that the rules that we followed to make that map were bad. So now we're asking a new court majority to issue new rules, so to speak, so we can have a new congressional map. Will that happen? I mean, it's hard to say. I, I think that there's a better chance of that happening than there being some kind of valid challenge to the legislative maps. It seems as though from when you talk to legal scholars, it seems very likely that this is where it's at. And, and, you know, the top Republican leadership in the legislature seems to not want to mess with this anymore, at least in their public comments. They don't want to mess with the the fight over the legislative maps. They want to get to work on figuring out who's going to go where, because right now you have some open districts. Right now you've got some Republican incumbents who are paired in the same district, and they got to figure out. Canodal and Strobel, Canodal said he's not right. Running. You know, Rob Coles in Green Bay, right. you know, another longtime representative who's now in, in this mix. Uh, you have these questions about what's going to happen. All these things have to get sorted out in pretty short order, too, because, I mean, we're looking at primary elections coming up in August. I get a sense that it's very unlikely that you're going to have any further challenges to the legislative maps. Maybe if Brad Schimmel wins next year and there's a conservative majority on the court, it's revisited then. But as far as what's going on this year, at least from public comments from Republican leaders in the legislature, they want to get to work on sorting out who's going to run where, Let's field some candidates and do what it takes to, to keep this majority after 2024. And most of the experts I've talked to said more than likely at some point the assembly will, will, will shift. And it's not surprising given that, you know, that we have new map, we will have new maps, um, that that will be the most likely shift. Much more difficult for Democrats to take control of the Senate, which is a clear Republican majority. Is that how you see it? Yeah. From the conversations I've had, the assembly is very much going to be in play under these maps in 2024. The Senate won't be because half of the Senate seats are up for election this year. And based on the the 16 Senate seats that are up, the math doesn't work out for Democrats. They they could and probably will gain enough seats so that there's no longer a Republican supermajority. Right now it's it's 22, well, 22, 10 with the open seat after Alina Taylor took the, the right. judge position in Milwaukee County. But the math doesn't align for Democrats in 2024. The soonest it sounds like they could have a shot at having a Senate majority is 2026. But it seems as though the Assembly is very much in play this year. And the interesting thing about the Assembly, potential shift, and nothing's guaranteed. Trust me, it's politics in Wisconsin. 
the person who I think is the most powerful politician in the state. I've said it over and over again. I know there's a governor who's a Democrat. It's, it's for me, it's Speaker Robin Voss. Mm-hmm. That assembly shift means the end of the speakership of Robin Voss, which he's held, I think, longer than any other speaker in Wisconsin state history. Yes, he is the longest tenured speaker in the history of the, the Wisconsin legislature. That's a seismic shift if that happens. Again, not yes. saying it's going to. That would be massive. And right now, when you look at you know the, the political science of it, and they kind of break down where the map is leaning, they're saying that under the governor's maps, it's a 2.5% GOP edge. Under the current maps, it was about a 15% Republican right. edge. So the argument was, look, we understand that the political geography of the state sees liberal voters tending to be clustered in urban areas, which isn't just Milwaukee and Madison. It mostly is Milwaukee and Madison, but you also have like your La Crosse's, your Eau Claire's. We draw, try to draw a, a map as best you can. There's a natural edge for Republicans, but not a 15% edge. So it, with it being a more competitive map, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Because of political geography, Republicans still have an edge they'll argue we should have a bigger edge than two and a half percent because the democrats tried to you know cut into that disadvantage they have but you're really getting in the weeds the, the bottom line is this is a much more competitive map it, it, and it does align more with what you see in, in statewide election results real quick question before we go to break you think it means that the republicans and democrats state of wisconsin will get along better if it's it's more competitive if you're an optimist, if you're an optimist, I, I think what people are curious, what I'm curious to see is, does this lead to more moderate candidates? Because you have more districts that are close to 50-50. Does it lead to, it's not so much you're a hardcore red district or a hardcore blue district. So really the only race that matters is the primary. If in this case, it's a more evenly divided district, you have to cater to both liberal and conservative voters. I'm curious to see, does that lead to a rise in more moderate candidates getting elected to the legislature? CBS 58 reporter A.J. Bayapur will take a quick break here. After the break, the MPS referendum is looming. He talked to the superintendent, Keith Posley, and we'll talk about that as we wind it up to the top of the hour news right here in the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. All right, we're talking so much, I almost ran out of time, but I want you to, to um, pump your, your interview with Keith Posley from, uh, from uh, MPS. Yeah, real quick, I was able to sit down with Superintendent Keith Posley, and the biggest takeaway as we look at April 2nd, one, uh, the voters should want more specifics from MPS about what its plan is for $252 million, but also understand this is such a complex issue. Uh, only five big city districts in the whole U.S. have a higher poverty rate than Milwaukee public schools. There are real challenges facing this district. My biggest takeaway, honestly, is people need to pay more attention to this issue. It, it literally is the future of our city when we talk about our kids. Uh, the story, there's a two-part story. I look at what to do with building consolidation. That's all on CBS58.com, both parts of that story. So uh, it's a great, it's a huge, hugely important topic. AJ Biopore, next time we'll talk about that one in more detail.